Hey there. Wow. Okay, so this is Wrestling for MMA. I'm Ed Gallo, and I did record a podcast last week. There was an episode of Wrestling for MMA last week, and what happened was I went to turn up the volume on the audio file because I'm, I'm a little quiet sometimes. I don't know if you knew that. And uh, I, I went away from the window and I came back to it after I had finished processing the new volume in my brain. I have a goldfish memory. I was like, oh, that was it processing me exporting the audio file. Cool. And then I closed the project in Audition and I lost the whole thing and I looked up a lot of ways to try to see if I could get it back and I couldn't. So, uh, yeah, that's gone forever. <laughs> Which is a shame because I spent over an hour fully recapping the Olympic team trials for USA Wrestling and uh, there was a lot of information and it's all gone. So if you have questions about my thoughts on the Olympic trials or you want to get get an educated take on things, I wrote an article. Uh, so you can go to Bloody Elbow, look up uh, reflections on the uh, USA Wrestling Olympic team trials. There you go. That I, I talked about every weight and uh, pretty much everything I wanted to say is in there. And yeah, you're just going to have to settle for that because there's no way I'm going to go through the entire Olympic trials again. I will talk about one thing, uh, just, just something that people are probably the most curious about, which is a 74 kilograms, Jordan Burroughs and Kyle Dake, and what, what, you know, what the plans are for the future. So basically, Jordan Burroughs is one of the, probably the greatest American wrestler of the past decade, or of the 2000s even. Uh, nine straight World and Olympic teams uh, medaled at all but one of those competitions, uh, five-time world Olympic champion is one of the best ever to wrestle period uh, definitely an all-time great and uh, yeah he made a lot of those teams by beating Kyle Dake and Kyle Dake uh, was a four-time NCAA champion for Cornell moved up in weight every year uh, definitely a legendary wrestler probably the second greatest college wrestler of all time on Kale Sanderson depending on your criteria uh, took some losses uh, but never didn't win a title and didn't redshirt, so that's definitely a big deal. Uh, Dake did really well in freestyle, but couldn't make the team at 74 because of Burroughs. Moved up to 86 in the Olympic year to try to make the team, and Jaden Cox was there. Almost did it. Almost got it done, but uh, was one point away uh, from getting the uh, the series. But he went back down to 74 for a little bit to challenge Burroughs again. Got a match off of him in 2017. Beat him once, but couldn't make the team because he lost the series 2-1. to one. And uh, then moved up to 79 kilograms when they created that weight class for a non-Olympic competition and won two world titles. So he became one of the best pound-for-pound -pound wrestlers in the world as soon as he was able to rep the country and, and make the team. So that speaks to his level, and he was beating up some really, really good guys. So finally, you know, after, after two years at 79 kilograms, uh, back down to 74 for the Olympic year to challenge Jordan Burroughs for the ninth time. Uh, so Jordan Burroughs was 7-1 and one against Kyle Dake in all of their meetings. Uh, close matches, a lot of them, but Burroughs just had his number. But at this point, Dake's the younger guy. Dake's got all the momentum. He's got no size on him now, uh, more experience in freestyle. So you, you have to imagine that in terms of momentum, Dake's probably going to be the guy. And for Burroughs, he, he hasn't necessarily faded hard. Over the past few years, but he's taken some losses that 
you know, don't don't speak super well. Um, like losing to Isaiah Martinez domestically, and our, Isaiah Martinez is a fantastic talent, very very good wrestler, but that's not typically the kind of guy he loses to. So that that was a little bit of a a red flag. Uh, you know, he he basically has like owned Frank uh, Shimizu in, in a lot of their meetings uh, since the first time they wrestled, and now he's like losing to him uh, pretty controversially, but lost to him recently. Had some really rough matches at Worlds, even though he he won those matches. And he can't beat uh, Zawerbek Sidakov from, from Russia, two-time world champion. So, you know, maybe losing a step. But then, you know, a month before the trials, or two months before the trials, he wrestles David Taylor, uh, who is the 86-kilogram world champion uh, from 2018. And 74 kilograms to 86 kilograms, that's 25 pounds. Uh, so he wrestles up 25 pounds and comes within a point of beating David Taylor, scores on him a bunch, and that changed my mind on everything. I'm like, oh my god. Jordan Burroughs is <laughs> amazing. Uh, he's not going to go quietly. Uh, Dake's going to have his hands full. So some things I thought about were that Jordan Burroughs' match with uh, Nurikov from 2019 Worlds, very enlightening for this matchup. Uh, basically, Burroughs can get to his straight-on shots very well, can set up his double very well. But if you have a really good counter game uh, for straight-on shots like chest wraps and head pinches, then you can be really dangerous against a guy who's gonna shoot straight on like like on you like that. I wrote an article about it about how you know this is how Burroughs kept getting into trouble, and here's how he adjusted by hand fighting to to angles basically like passing like arm drags and uh, you know hitting pivots and, and just little little moves, uh, moving him around with the with the head and uh, tricep grips, wrist grips to uh, to get him off off center so he can get to his legs at a better angle so there isn't a chest wrap or a head pinch there. Um, easier said than done. But that's how he ended up scoring clean on Nurikov, and those points were crucial in letting him win that match. Although he still kept shooting straight on into him, and that got him into trouble. So Kyle Dake, I think his biggest adjustment between folk style and freestyle was getting really good at, at that counter game. Because Dake's got amazing defense, but just stalemating a situation uh, isn't that productive in, in freestyle. You want to score. You want to score at any time possible. It's a lot easier to pick up points just by getting an exposure than it is to actually score a takedown. Um so Kyle Dake got really good at chest wraps. <laughs> He's super duper strong, so no surprise there. Very flexible and a very strong base. Um, and he also good at cro- got good at crotch lifts, which is a... Uh, well, a chest wrap is when you lock both of your hands underneath the chest, so someone shoots in straight on you. You lock your hands underneath their chest, compress, uh, and use that to uh, sit back and throw them back over, over your shoulder at an angle. Um, that's points, because their back's going to be exposed. If you do it while they're still standing trying to take you down, that's four points. If you do it off your butt or after you've already hit the ground, it's two points. But uh, that's yeah, that's that's a really nice thing to have in your back pocket. Um, think of it like a like a butterfly sweep, almost like mid mid takedown. Uh, the crotch lift is when you reach over, so someone's again on your legs trying to take you down. You reach over across their back, uh, loop one arm, you know, around the leg on the outside, loop one re- arm under the the leg on the inside, lock your hands and lift, you know, through the crotch. That way you can get height on their hips and, and take them over that way. So if someone shoots on you and you get the chest wrap, if they're in danger of going over from the chest wrap, they will flatten out. <laughs> Sometimes people call it starfishing, which is really funny. Um, so he's going to go flat, right? So once they're flat, if you're able to really flatten them out and get them in a, in a compromised position where they can't really build up quickly, you have time to switch your grip over to that, that crotch lift, which is a, a more advantageous lift for that position. So you flatten them with the chest wrap, and then you switch to the other move. 
So Kyle Dake, with that little counter system, became one of the most difficult wrestlers to score on in the world. And he was already one of them, and then he would make it, it made it even more difficult to score on him. So that is a huge part of why he's given Jordan Burroughs trouble later on in, in their matchups. And now it's like he's really perfected that style. Uh, so it's going to be much tougher. And Burroughs, you know, losing a little bit of a, his athletic edge, you know, getting a little bit slower, maybe losing a little bit of strength. So uh, already a really, really uphill matchup, which is what you saw when they wrestled at, at, at trials. Something else that was really important is that Kyle Dake, uh, <laughs> no one else does this. No one else in the world does this, but he utilizes head movement. Uh, he slips and, and bobs and weaves and tries to make it difficult for guys to get their hands on his head. Why doesn't everyone do that, you ask, in wrestling? Because, you know, a lot of your tie-ups that you want to establish, they come from grabbing the head, getting a collar tie, and working from there, snapping you down, moving you around that way. So why doesn't everyone just avoid it? Because if you're if you're using head movement and you're moving your feet around like that and you're <laughs> you know just you know focusing on ducking ducking the hands, you're open to other things uh, to you know shot from the legs, for instance. But that's what Dake wants. He wants you to shoot from space on his legs because that leads him right into those counter situations we just talked about. So you enter into this really difficult situation where your best attack is a straight on double, and you're best thing after that is really heavy hands great hand fighting into better positions to get your attacks going or to set up your double as well dake shut down both of those things uh so if you watch these matches at olympic team trials it's burrows looks like he has nothing for him like he can get to his legs a couple times but every time he gets to the legs he's nowhere close to scoring because the counter threat is just too great and he feels it right away you can tell dake feels really strong and threatening in those positions because burrows bails fast uh, and then on the feet you just couldn't get a hold of him couldn't get a strong enough hold of him to hand fight with him and, and put him out of position. And Dake's a great hand fighter too, so it was just too much to overcome stylistically, uh, which is crazy because he he did, you know, seven times before this, but this time, no dice. So now they're uh, seven and three against each other overall, and Dake's the Olympian, uh, and I I really like his chances against the world. Obviously, the the toughest guy for him is going to be Sidikov if that's who they send, which I think it will be. Uh, Sidikov's had some some bumps and bruises. A uh, really close match with uh, Jamalov that he almost lost at Russian Nationals. And uh, before that, he lost to uh, uh, Sabalov, who transferred to, to Serbia. So he'll be in the bracket if he wins a last-chance qualifier, too. That's two guys that, that, you know, are giving him tough matches recently. And he's had some tough matches before that. Sidikov doesn't always blow people out. Uh, he's definitely vulnerable. Uh, and, and Dake is an interesting style matchup for him. I think that... Sidikov being more of an outside step single guy is going to help him out and not getting into those counter situations that Dake likes. But Dake isn't, that's not his whole game. That's just a, a very simplistic system that he's developed that can shut down really high level opponents if that's their game. But Dake has a whole different, a whole bunch of different ways he can wrestle. Uh, he's really good upper body. Uh, he, can, he can hit throws uh, from upper body positions and hit big lifts off his singles. Uh, you know, just a great scrambler, great defense, uh, got great offense of his own, great leg attacks of his own. Um, he can do it all pretty much. So Sidikov's going to have his hands full, but at least a, it'll be different, a different dynamic than the Burroughs matchup. Um, I think that Sidikov, you know, being a guy who likes to set things up from his collar ties, we might see a lot of single leg scrambles because I think Dake's going to make it hard for him to get a hang on him, hang of his head rather, and uh, Sidikov might end up taking some outside singles. Uh, from space, which he's good at. He's good at diving on the legs from space and, and creating exchanges, but I think that's going to that's gonna open up some really high-level looks. 
Um, he's also going to have Frank Shimizu, who he's wrestled once before, and Shimizu uh, gave gave him a tough look. He he definitely Jake didn't like what he felt when when they scrambled together, and Shimizu like didn't even need to do anything good. Uh, he was ending up in like these really bad positions to start the scrambles and and doing pretty well for himself. So Shimizu probably feels pretty confident, but I think it was an exhibition on a flow card, and it didn't really have any stakes. So I don't think they showed each other a lot of what they have. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. There's other guys in the world, but those, those are the top two guys he's going to have to be concerned with. And I don't really like Kyle Dake as a, as a person too much. He, he says some wacky stuff. Um, I'm not like a fan of, of the guy a lot. I don't know him personally, but just I've heard things. And uh, I like him as a wrestler, although it's annoying sometimes how he wrestles. And I'm mad that he beat Burroughs, but I'll be rooting for him. Uh, I, I like USA wrestling. I want the U.S. to win medals. Uh, so I, I hope it goes well. Uh, the Jaden Cox thing people probably want to hear about as well. He, here's what happened. Jaden Cox missed weight. He wasn't on weight when he when he showed up to weigh-ins. Uh, he went to go cut the rest of the weight. And like he went somewhere. like Because of COVID protocols, he couldn't get... It wasn't nearby where he had to cut the weight. He had to go somewhere else. And apparently there was a miscommunication with Kevin Jackson, his coach, about like what time the weigh-ins closed. And then he got back too late to the weigh-ins. And he, he couldn't weigh in. Uh, it, it was over. So everyone else in the tournament made weight on time except him. So obviously you can't make an exception. Uh, but they let him weigh in just to prove that he was on weight, which he was, uh, so he can make an appeal and be able to point to that and say I was on weight. So he's making an appeal. I think the appeal is based around Kevin Jackson, his coach, being technically being a USA Wrestling employee because he is uh, uh, one of the national team coaches. <laughs> I think it's like a you know, senior level development coach. Um, so I don't think that's going to work, but if it does, he could get a wrestle off of Kyle Snyder, but I think it's, I think he's done. Um, he's going to have to wait till next year. Actually, it's not even next year. It's like a couple months because worlds are in October, which is so soon <laughs> after the Olympics. Uh, so that's going to be weird to have the Olympics and worlds back to back like that, but he could be wrestling at, at a world level pretty soon again. So I'm not super bummed about it, but I, I just feel like with the Olympics being so close by, it's going to be a different kind of field. Like, probably a lot of the best guys won't be there. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. So those are two of the big storylines. There's a bunch of other stuff. I talked about all of it in that article. Check that out. Okay. MMA. Mixed martial arts. This is the wrestling for MMA podcast, but sometimes it feels like the wrestling and MMA podcast. But I like talking about wrestling, and uh, I think some people might enjoy it. So I do it anyway. Um... Okay, so a UFC event, well, uh, two UFC events have passed since my last podcast. There was the Miocic Ngannou card, which saw uh, Francis Ngannou solidify his wrestling defense a lot more. Uh, people were talking about it. I think it was pretty good. Uh, I think it, he had some good ideas before this fight. Like, in their first fight, even when he wasn't dead tired, he was showing some pretty good awareness defensively as a wrestler. Uh, Ryan Wagner put it best when we were talking. He said he he, he has a good idea with like was there, he didn't say all this. All all Ryan said was that his feet suck. So I'll tell you what, what he means by that. So when Stipe shoots on him, Ngannou's doing a good job pulling the head up or like pushing the head off to the side, pulling him up with the wizard, controlling wrists. Uh, you know, does a good job like turning him off the cage with collar ties. It clearly has a good idea what to do upper body, but his footwork, like his his stance, his footwork, it's all just him standing there. So that's what he meant by his feet suck. So that's something that was rectified uh, in the rematch. You saw him circling out off the cage once he was able to push Stipe off to an angle, uh, hit a go behind, 
and uh, did, did some good work there. I don't think it's the future of Ngannou's career that for him to offensively wrestle people. I think that's probably a bad idea because it's if you're unless you're super smooth and, and clean with it, it's going to be really energy intensive, and that's not what's good for his style. He's still at risk for gassing out, so he should not do that. He should keep it simple and just do the things that are easiest for him to be successful with, which is punching people and kicking them a little bit. He was doing a good job kicking on the circle out uh, with his low kick against Stipe, so that was cool. Um, but yeah, that, luckily that was really the only big wrestling thing to talk about in the card. So then this past weekend's card was... It was something. Uh, so it was the Vittori versus Holland card. Uh, I missed a couple of the fights, but I did see uh Gamrot Mateusz Gamrot he won uh I like him uh, it's weird because a lot of his box he's a good boxer so a lot of his boxing just naturally sets up takedowns well because he does a lot of level changing and fainting and body jabbing and uh things of that nature uh a lot of in and out but he doesn't really use those same motions to set up his takedowns like he doesn't like build it into his boxing combinations he just kind of in an isolated moment says okay I'm going to shoot now and he and he does um, he's got a good shot, good outside shot. Um, <laughs> but it just seems kind of disconnected from, from the rest of what he's doing on the feet. But yeah, he's good enough in a vacuum at wrestling and grappling that it's okay. Um, and he does a nice job limping arming, limp arming out of his singles if he doesn't have it in the covering the front headlock, which is cool. Jack Slack's been uh, talking about that. He, he noticed that because he's a, a Sakuraba fanboy and uh, apparently Sakuraba did that too. So Cool. Cool, cool from Gamrot. I'm glad he's winning. Uh, and yeah, the main event, Vittori versus Holland. Before I talk about it, hold on. Before I talk about that, Arnold Allen versus Sadiq Yusuf. Uh, Allen was doing a really good job of hand fighting to stifle the range against Yusuf and make him have to be more rear hand reliant. And uh, did a good job of timing those big rear hand entries to hit his own reactive shots like a knee tap, uh, takedown, knee tap, double. Uh, doing a good job on that. So I, I like that look from Allen. That was cool. Especially because uh, Mads Burnell was doing that to him <laughs> back in the day. Uh, but yeah, the main event, Marvin Vittori versus Kevin Holland. I knew Vittori was a solid wrestler. I knew that Holland was a terrible wrestler, so I, I wasn't surprised by the result. But I mean, some of these situations, man, like something that really is burned into my memory is uh, Vittori gets in on a double against the cage, and Holland's base was already terrible. Like he was standing straight up, feet were together was not in a defensive wrestling position whatsoever. And instead of, like, doing anything that would have helped him defend that takedown, he just starts slapping slapping at the ears and uh, doesn't make any effort to, like, wizard or, you know, at least, you know, threaten a guillotine or something. But he's just slapping the ears and getting taken down. And that's what it was like in basically every wrestling situation in this fight. It was like the Holland just wasn't even interested in, in trying the correct defense. And if you want all these individual situations commented on, I did. Um, so if you go to either the, the podcast platform that you're listening on, uh, you can get the audio and you could try to match it up with the fight video, but easier would be just to watch the commentary video. So if you subscribe to the fight set on Patreon, $3 minimum will get you access to all of our exclusive content, including uh, commentary videos and a lot of the main events for the UFC, including Vittori versus Holland. So you'll see there, I, I get very upset <laughs> that, that he is you know, actively bad at, at, at wrestling. And it's just, I know he knows better. I know he knows better. I've seen him do better. So it's just like, why, why don't you try? Why don't you try? It's really strange because in that fight, I go through several stages of how I feel about Kevin Holland. 
before the fight, I was mad at him because he clearly didn't try to win the Brunson fight. He basically accepted that he was going to lose and just tried to be goofy about it. Um, in this fight, it looked like he was taking it seriously, but then once things started to not go his way, he didn't get goofy about it, but he didn't, he didn't want to do the things that he knew he had to do to stop Vittori from enforcing his fight on him. He just, he just didn't do it. So I don't know how he expected to win that. So it was really annoying. Um, I, I, I get so mad at that. I really don't want to see him anymore. They need to stop putting him in main events. They need to stop putting him on main cards, honestly. Just feed him bad fighters. If you want him to be a thing, just keep giving him bad fighters uh, that he can they can blow out and, and let that be its own thing. But don't don't mix him up with these these top-level fighters because it's not interesting. He, he he fights very negatively in the wrestling grappling with these guys. Like he's uh, a lot of stalling um, on the ground, and it just makes for really boring, terrible fights. So I, I don't I don't want it. Stop, <laughs> stop trying to force Kevin Holland on me, UFC. All right, uh, this week's card isn't like better as a card, but the main event is better. Uh, it's Robert Whitaker versus Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, the karate hottie, Robert Whitaker, uh, stupid sexy hips, Robert Whitaker. I love him. I wrote an article about him called Wrestling for MMA, Robert Whitaker, all about his defensive wrestling. It is great. It is so good. Um, he's a good wrestler. Um, so I highly recommend uh, reading that. And you can also get a lot more uh, content about Robert Whitaker and his wrestling if you watch resume review Robert Whitaker which will come out the day after this so I'm recording this on a Tuesday I'm hoping to release it on a Tuesday uh, and then Wednesday will be Robert Whitaker's resume review which will be on Patreon as a video and I'll put it on the podcast apps audio because I love you guys and some of you deserve free things but most of you need to step your game up and subscribe to the fight site on Patreon it's ridiculous I know you're out there listening guilty that you haven't subscribed three bucks man think of all the dumb things you spend money on and how much this would do i mean we are we are paying the staff with this patreon money that's the entirety of the income and it's all going towards the staff it's not going to me you know i'm doing this for them so if you want them to continue making content uh, i need to be able to pay them and as you can see i am definitely doing most of the content at this point so uh help me justify uh encouraging them to work hard so uh, it definitely makes a difference for, for a lot of them uh, in their lives. So I'd like to continue this. So please, please. So Robert Whitaker is great. Uh, that was really fun recording that. Um, some things about, about Robert Whitaker with regard to wrestling, uh, other than like the competency being high, his style is very good for, for defensive wrestling. It's kind of counterintuitive because, or I don't know counterintuitive, but like paradoxical that the fact that he is so blitzy and, and bursty makes you think, okay, this guy is kind of a mark for reactive takedowns. He's you know coming straight in on me hard and fast a bunch of times. I can time that and, and shoot on him. But here's the thing: the karate stance, the the long the long uh, side on stance, makes it very hard to get to both sides of the hips. You can basically only get to a single off that. And reactive singles aren't really something you like drive through and run someone over with. So you can get to the legs, but you're not going to take him straight over. Uh, and he also keeps his lead hand very low uh, mechanically with the way he strikes and also just as a, as a neutral position. Uh, when he throws his lead hand, he you know, you know, gets a little angle on it, you know, puts his shoulder up uh, and you know, up jabs or you know, up hooks or you know, comes, comes off in an angle to hit the hook. And 
he's just always in a good position to underhook essentially um while he's throwing or before he's throwing he's just in a really good position i talked about on the commentary the lines of defense for wrestling is head hands and hips uh and he lowers his head he changes levels with his opponent as he comes in uh, hands are low ready to catch underhooks or fight wrists and uh, his hips are ridiculous so as soon as he feels some sort of takedown attempt coming he's really good at kicking his hips back and getting out to angles or limp legging if it's a single um and then even if you're in on his hips he's really good at you know fighting the hands you know hip heisting getting his hips forward and and spinning out um there's that awesome sequence against yoel romero where he did that so i i love watching robert whitaker i love when people try to wrestle him so i'm really hoping that kelvin gaslam tries to wrestle him because that <laughs> that would be a good showcase because kelvin's a, a solid wrestler honestly offensively um you know, uh, his last fight was definitely more wrestling heavy than past performances. So I think that's something to keep an eye on. Um, is he going to do that again? I'm not sure. I talked about on the resume review that my main fear with Kelvin is that he hits hard. His hands are pretty fast and Whitaker's defense isn't perfect. So, you know, it's possible that he's just going to catch him. Uh, but I don't expect him to win rounds off of Robert Whitaker and I think his durability uh is great gaslam's is but he can only take so much and you know head kicking someone is a pretty good way to rock them so I, i'm hoping that whitaker can finish him because it's just gonna make me nervous all the way up until the fight's over uh but yeah rob rob is clearly the second best middleweight in the ufc uh i don't even know if like objectively is he is a better fighter as he just clearly has his number head to head although i think some, with some adjustments he could give izzy a much tougher fight um, but clearly, is he's a bad matchup for him. But there's no one else at middleweight beating him right now, as long as he's still close to his prime, which I think he is. Uh, people are calling him shot after the Izzy fight. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> he got knocked out in one fight, and he looked fine in the fight, like a little stupid maybe, but physically he looked fine in the fight. And then in his next fights after that, he, he also looked fine physically. So how can he be shot? Um, that was goofy. Um, just, call it, just say it was a, a dumb performance. It was. But, you know, he's, he's getting back into his groove. The Till fight was pretty weird, but the Cannoneer fight was a lot closer to what, what we can expect from him. Um, Robert Whitaker has a competitive wrestling uh, background, you could say. He has experience wrestling, but Oceana is, is really bad. Like, it's not even worth thinking about. But it just goes to show you that he's put the reps in. He has experience wrestling purely, which is more than you can say about a lot of fighters, honestly. You would think that they all you know, train hard in every area. But they don't. <laughs> they really don't. And that's the biggest surprise as a fan. To learn that fighters don't take all of MMA very seriously. There are way too many high-level fighters that have, they, you definitely know about. That like don't train grappling. Or like don't <laughs> train specific types of wrestling. Or like don't train, you know, whatever. Uh, it's much more common for them not to train uh, wrestling and grappling than it is for them to not train striking. But it's a little more obvious when they don't train striking. Um, but yeah, I mean, the level of professionalism is not where you think it is with regard to the highest levels of MMA. Um, so a lot of time fighters problems, it's like, they don't do it. It's not like, oh, they, there's some flaw with their training. It's just an effort. <laughs> it's an effort, uh, factor. And of course you only have so much time in a day and you want to be smart with your training and, and you know space things out and, and apply your focus where it needs to be you know for your training to be most effective but completely ignoring one of the major areas of the sport is probably not a good idea and you can tell some of these fighters just do not 
do not do it or do not do it in any serious amount. Whereas Robert Whitaker trained very hard at wrestling and grappling and everything. Uh, he overtrains, which is the other problem, but <laughs> with regard to his skill competencies, he's not someone you have to worry about. And that's always nice. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's my thoughts for him right now. I, I mean, I did a lot of content on Whitaker already this week, so I feel like I don't need to talk about him anymore. But yeah, Kelvin, uh, we'll see. We'll see, what, we'll see what his deal is. Uh, he's training with Benil Dariush, uh, you know, with Kings MMA, but Benil Dariush is taking a more active role as, like, a, a fighter coach, and I think that will be great because he's someone that did a lot with maybe not so many physical gifts. He, he really went very far and still is going far uh, in spite of that. And Calvin Gaston someone who's kind of worse than he should be considering who he is physically. So uh, I think that uh, he could definitely help maximize his potential if he's willing to listen. Other fighters on this card with any wrestling implications. I think Alexander Munoz, who's fighting Luis Pena. I believe that's the wrestling coach at Team Alpha Male. Fairly certain that's who it is. Um, he lost to Nasrat Hakparast, who has relevance to something I said earlier, but I'm not going to tell you what. You're going to have to guess. Um, but he did take Hakparast down a few times, and I forget how the rest of that fight went, but hoping he beats Pena, because, uh, I mean, he's a wrestling coach, so I like him. Ricardo <laughs> uh, Hamos is fighting Bill Algeo. I don't think that'll be very wrestling or grappling intensive, which is kind of a cool fight. Uh, Alexander Romanov is a heavyweight he's a top player he's fighting Juan Espino who has a uh, Juan Espino has experience in some some sort of grappling style that I'm not totally familiar with um I wish I remembered I wish I remembered but I don't um so that could actually be pretty interesting I remember him like hitting trips and like throws and stuff on people and doing scarfold and Romanov is obviously a top player so we'll see what happens there I think there might be something to talk about and uh middleweight Mirshart is fighting uh, Bartosz Fabinski, and I believe he's a judo player, so something could happen there. Um, not a very interesting card overall, I would say. Um, not not the best card, but you know some things that could be that could be interesting uh, if we watch them play out. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, the only other guy to look at here is Tony. I don't know if it's Gravely or, or Gravely. I don't know how to pronounce it, but he is a wrestler. And I wish I remembered what his background was particularly, but uh, he definitely wrestled Division One, uh, might maybe at multiple colleges. He might transfer a couple times, but he uh, he wrestled at App State uh, a few years ago, like 2011, 2012 season. So he was definitely wrestling while I was in college. Um, yeah, I think maybe he was. Yeah, he's from Virginia. That's it. Uh, so he was really good in high school in Virginia, and. Uh, maybe was a little undersized at 125 in college but now he's uh he's you know grown into a solid weight class but yeah he was decent he, he won some some good matches um and and at the d1 level so he'll be someone interesting to look out for uh shout out to my my virginia listeners there's like three of you so <laughs> uh yeah i just been kind of stumbling through this card not too much else to talk about i'm i'm really hoping that nbc sports can get their shit together and put these wrestling matches up because they have like 10 videos from the Olympic trials up right now. And it's almost all just men's freestyle finals, which, you know, cool. I, I like that, but 
there's so many other matches that need to be archived that it doesn't look like they're even gonna do it. So the majority of the Olympic trials are unwatchable. That's that's unacceptable, honestly. Uh, and it's not USA Wrestling's fault. It's uh, the U.S. Olympic Committee's fault because they sell the rights, they control the rights, and they sell the rights to NBC, and NBC does not give a damn about wrestling. So uh, that's so much match footage that's just gone if they don't archive it. So I am mad about that because I want to write about it. <laughs> I want to write about it, so it needs to, they need to post it. Um, okay, so I'm mad about that. Uh, subscribe to the Fight Set on Patreon. There's a ton of content there, a lot of wrestling content. Uh, if you're looking for a place to start becoming a wrestling fan, I would just go to the fights out on Patreon, go to the wrestling content, start from... Uh, depending on how much time you want to put into it, if you just want to watch like one match, I have a couple there that are one match, like a Aku versus Petraeusvili, which is a heavyweight wrestling match that's very good. But if you want like a full introduction to like college wrestling, for example... I did a really good commentary. Good because it was comprehensive, not good because I did a good job. I don't know if I did. But Virginia Tech versus NC State, a dual meet from the past college season. Really awesome and great ending, and I explained the rules the whole time. So if you want an intro to what you should be looking for and what you're looking at, that that's a good one as well. But yeah, subscribe to the Fight Side on Patreon. There's a lot of other benefits besides the content, but the content's probably the main attraction. So there you go. All right, well, maybe a little rusty first first time back in a couple weeks for, for this podcast, but hopefully I have more to talk about soon. All right, bye-bye.